Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Book Club. Today I'm sitting down with my friend Anya Lee, and while this is a Libertarian Book Club, today's book is more religious. So if you're not into that, uh, feel free to skip, but I think there's something here for everyone, especially if you're a parent or you're young and just starting your Carter's, adult, Carter's life and your adult life and you're here with new ideas. So please sit back and enjoy as I present to you Anya and her book, Connor's Call. who wrote this amazing book, Connor's Car. He is a young author. How old are you, Anya? Uh, 19? 20. 20. 20 years old and published uh, how many books? Uh, Four at the moment. Four books at 20. That's an uh, amazing accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, this, is, this is a spoiler-filled spoiler, uh, podcast. This is a book club, <laughs> not a book review. So if you want to know what happens, read it and come we back will. to us. Uh, so, on if you want to, just go over a quick synopsis of what the book was about, and I'll jump in and ask you a few questions along the way. Awesome, thanks. So, the book follows two best friends, uh, Connor um, and Alex, and they're two freshmen, fresh-faced Pentecostal Christians, and they're going, they're moving from Florida to Oregon to pursue their university education. Um, and they're very naive, very innocent uh, young boys, and they're coming into this Northwestern environment, and they're encountering a lot of things that they've never thought about before, or at least have thought about but not done in practice. Um, for example, they're encountering re other religions, people who have very different mindsets, uh, other Christians who think a lot differently from them. And they kind of find out a lot about each other that they didn't know, like how they would react in these particular situations. Um, and they both kind of have to, they have to grow their faith in a different way than they um, originally thought that they would have to. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's a synopsis. But I'm sure you have particular points that you want to discuss. But I, I do, but to begin, to begin with, it, I want to engage after the like the usual coming of age books are um all high school like when you if you go to like um what's the one the perks of being a wallflower mm. um know, or, like, even like the very dystopian environment mm. but it is coming of age like they're all high school based but yeah. and yeah. they kind of assume that well, after you finish high school then you're an adult but it's <laughs> very different like you you have so much so much formation that occurs after that point and if you play it right you keep forming your entire life so like i'd really love to see more coming of age novels that occur after the usual 18 year old period but yeah that was the idea to do a sort of coming of age novel for those four years of university that uh many people have yeah no yeah i've always i've always said this you're not an adult until you can go to a, a bar you know, people say you're an adult 18. It's like you, you can't do anything at 18. You can go join the military. That's about it. But you're not it, an adult you can yet. Get married, but that's. Ah, you can get married. Yay! What are you gonna do with that? You don't know how to be married. <laughs> Who's gonna get married at 18? That's not gonna last. I mean, no. if, it, if it happened to you, I'm sure it'll last. Congratulations. Congratulations. Good luck on it. But given but the numbers. Yeah, don't do it. 
Stick it you out. Wait. wait. Stay a, stay a few years, see how it goes, you know? You yeah. might have some camera habits. You need to find out. Uh, to begin with, I want to ask a few questions about more of the writing process. You know, you're awesome. a young author. That's an interesting uh, concept. Yeah. So, like, so what was the inspiration for the book? What really made you want to write it? Uh, so I met this um, newish kind of friend that was a different person than I had met before. Like they were very like they were still Christian, but they were very worldly in the sense that they knew about a lot about other religions, a lot about history, a lot about other cultures, as well as had had a lot of stuff happen in their own family. And mm-hmm. just like. We met about every Wednesday for an hour, and I would just hear his stories, hear about people that he knew about, hear about other religions, and it was just a lot to take in. Mm. Um, and so come summer, like, you know, uh, the pandemic all happened, but come that point, I was kind of overwhelmed just by all that I had learned, like, in pieces, but hadn't fully processed. Um and it was just kind of that process of coming of age where I was like, what am I going to do with all of this that I know about? Like, how how would I actually react if I was in this situation? And so I just uh, started writing out this story about two boys and how they would react in those situations. Because, like, uh, like he's uh, into learning about um, Mormons, for example. Um, <laughs> he's into learning about the Mormon faith a bit. And so... I would learn all these like bits and pieces about Joseph Smith. And I was just like, okay, that, that quack. how would I actually yeah. react if I ran into a Mormon? Like, I don't even know. Like, well, I has, has someone, has, has someone who has uh, new family members who are Mormon. Uh, mm-hmm. The best reaction you can have is laughter because mm-hmm. <laughs> some of the things they say, I love my Mormon cousins. They're great. And they say some things. I'm like, this is family. Don't make fun. This is family. Don't make fun. Indeed. But there's there's a lot there of Joseph Smith where you could just – uh, Yeah, there, and if you look into the deep history, like, um, they, there's such a rich culture there. Like, uh, it's no wonder that he, he's gained such a following. But um, mm-hmm. no, but I'll, I'll dive into that a bit more because there's a, a side character named Emma, and she's a, she's, um, she's a Mormon. And it was quite interesting to write her and have her be a recurring character because a lot of them, they just meet them once and that's about it. Like their encounter with Buddhism is just a one-time meeting. Like I didn't know as much about it. But Emma, she's this recurring character. And it was interesting to write this character that was like, she's very kind. She's very passionate about her faith. Um, She's like very, very much wanting to learn more about the world and like deepen her experience like the boys are. And she was very similar to them in in many respects. And I was, it it like brought that realization that even though all of these different worldviews that I was learning about were very different from my own, there are real people that are within them that are just as anxious to, um, to know more and to be better versions of themselves. So writing the book kind of like, um, it didn't let me discount them as just like an ideology. Like they're real behind every ideology. That was um, the motivation behind writing it. So research-wise, how much did you dive into uh, each 
ideology. Like you talk to your friends, you research a lot. What's one? You research more than the other ones. Lord, I researched so much for this project. <laughs> um, so the I'll go over organizations so that you can, and we'll I'll take you through that process a bit. So the years. So the book is divided into four main sections for the years, and then there's kind of like short stories, about two or three pages each for um, some of the months during the years, and they just like pull out those. Um, meaningful conversations that the boys have, but um, each of them kind of um, develops another ideology or religion or worldview that I learned about. Um, and so, like in like one, there's like a certain um, denomination of Christianity, and another they meet a Mormon, and another um, they meet um, a lesbian, and another they do this, and another do they do this. So it just kind of goes through the different ideologies, kind of methodically. But um, for each one, I would go into like deep research so i would spend like at least a week just doing like reading and watching videos and taking notes before i would even sit down to write the um section because i wanted it to be as as real of a picture of that person that it could be um which is very interesting like and and there's a lot that i don't even remember from the research process that i ended up writing down just because it was like I learned it, I wrote it, and then I was at peace with it, in a sense. Mm. So there was a lot of research. Like, I have a giant document of notes that, and links that I can always go back to. But, um, yeah, a lot of research for this one. It was very different from my, um, from my uh, young adult novels, which were just mostly from my high school experience. Mm. And this one's, this one's meant to be very informed. But, uh, yeah. Mm. I don't want anybody uh, listening to this get the wrong idea. Why this is a novel written by a Christian and it has heavy Christian themes, it is not your God's Not Dead Christian novel. Which, you if, know, you, it does... if you read my other novels, they are very much God's Not Dead. So I've been there, and I didn't want this to be that kind yes, of story. Yes. Like there were some mature themes. Not too mature. Yeah. PG, if, it was, if it was a movie, it'd be PG-13. It would. You know? it would. That's, and probably... that's the way it should be. Like, hands down, I love animation. It's probably one of my favorite pieces of art. And I was just like, man, as much as I love animation, as much as I would love my stories to be animated in film, I don't think I could have this particular story be animated just because, like, I don't think it should be portrayed in film just because, like, I had to be real. I had to be authentic to how they would really react in these situations. And I believe that's what would happen, so... Absolutely. And it wouldn't be too hard to, uh, it's more or less all in one setting. You know, all you would need is a few yeah. roads, a gas station, and a nice Honda. And we're not a nice <laughs> Honda, but a Honda, you know. It's... Okay, well, I'll let you in on a little secret. Um, in the earlier, so you see on the cover of the book, I've got my copy right here. Um, there's the Honda Civic cover in the entire time, but there's a little baby Dorito by the front right tire. Um yeah, so in earlier drafts of the book, um, it was told it was narrated by a Dorito that was stuck beneath between the car cushions. And like there were a lot of like just italics that were there thought so the Dorito was responding to everything as well as Connor and Alex. But um like in the end you kinda get to it and if it's like all correct and the Dorito is the one portraying it then it's jainism that is the correct thing for the universe so there's like there were meant to be like a lot of layers of like there's these christian guys that are your main characters but in the context of the story they're wrong so there there was a lot there but um yeah yeah, yeah. 
There was a point. I had a point that I was going with this, and now I forget the question. <laughs> all good. Um, but, you, I've all the research you did on what you remember that you did. What was your favorite tidbit that you kind of like, oh, that's neat. I didn't know that about them. What was your thing that popped out that kind of stuck with you? Hmm. Well, I, I love the Mormons. <laughs> I love their um, creation story and how, all their different civilizations that they write about down in South South America. But my favorite tidbit is a very stupid tidbit. But um, no, no. Uh, continuing on with the Mormons, like they used to be called Mormons, but now they prefer to be called uh, the Church of the Latter Day Saints. Saints. Yeah. Right. But um, I have a recurring joke in the book where the guys will be like, ah, oh, she's a Mormon, and she'll just say through gratitude, she's like, Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, and she's very annoyed by it, but, um, no, I, I think that's my favorite tidbit, because I didn't realize that we had so many, uh, so many of their, uh, churches around my town, because I hadn't realized they had changed the name, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think that would be my favorite tidbit, just because it showed up so many times in the book. I noticed that there was a few... I would say of all the of all the weird current characters, she was the interesting one. I know. And, uh, yeah. If I, wrote, I, I mm, go ahead. No, if I wrote a sequel to this book, um, it would probably feature her, um, and her continuing development after the events of this story. But um. I'd read it. I'd be interested. It hasn't been put on my heart to do that, so I'm not going to try to push something out that shouldn't mm -hmm. or ready to exist or shouldn't at all i think it stands very strongly on its own so it's pretty good i'm not gonna lie i uh i read it all today oh nice i i, <laughs> I, I was very busy this week uh and i was like i need to read this book soon I'm like, I, I said i have the whole week to read it and i put it all the way off to an hour two hours beforehand <laughs> and i was like it's not meant to too take long it. it's not meant to take a long time i don't know 100 and, uh, what was it, 180 pages 180 pages it's about 40,000 words long, so a solid novella. Not too bad. It's very easy read, very breezy. It's a book that a parent can read and kind of get an idea of what the kid's headspace might be, but also a book a parent. I mean, I, I saw, I was thinking, if I ever have kids, this is a book I want to hand to my uh, son who goes to college. You know, this is a book people should read. A senior year, go into college, kind of get a, a do's and don'ts, uh, ideals, kind of like, it's easy read. It's uh, very breezy is how I would describe it. Thank you. I, I take that as high praise. One of the things I did I did like about it was kind of the uh, the some of the stress aspect. One of the characters seems more stressed out about things. He seemed more I don't know how to put it. Um, Alex, you're talking. Alex, about yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Alex. He's he seemed a little stressed throughout, and that's when I, I noticed that a lot with a lot of the people who are born and raised Christians, they get a bit of a lot of a. Uh, well, I call it Catholic guilt because I'm Catholic, but mm -hmm. it's uh, just like they have a, they know what they're supposed to do and they've been told their whole life to do it. So when they don't do it, it's just like, hey, I've been told 20 something years how to do it. Yeah. It kind of hits them a little harder. So that's just something that a lot of people need to know about. Like, not, like I think that parents, I think, should know more about what's their kids. Like, hey, you've instilled these great values in them their whole life. So when they do miss it, because everyone misses it, they're going to take it harder because they, they know better. And they yeah. do know better, but it just it hits them harder. Yeah, well, in and that was one of the things because the characters do certain things and say certain things um, in the book, and like 
as like someone who's brought up Christian their entire life and like you said been told not to do this and to do this and things and if you break those rules it's such a hard blow especially if it's one of those things that you told yourself your entire life this will never happen to me I would never do that I've been brought up right so I am exempt from this particular thing Mm -hmm. um a mild example that doesn't really show up in the book but um a lot of girls are like like strictly christian girls are like hey don't kiss at all like have your first kiss at the altar which is a wonderful sentiment and i love it like it's not found in the bible but um it's a wonderful sentiment but then you put that such pressure on them and then if they if they do that's not even a sin and if they break it they're heartbroken and it's just so difficult so even and with the things that are sins there's that double guilt because you know you shouldn't have done it and you feel like you've betrayed your family and your upbringing and it's it's so it's so difficult like when like i've learned a lot about parenting from writing this book just for how you should approach them going into the world but um yeah i i totally on that but alex yes he's he's very high strung he's very passionate about not changing but um reminds me of the buzzer a little bit (laughs) yeah and in the end he's supposed to change in the in a better way Mm -hmm. you do have to change you must but like you don't have to compromise your ideals in order to change and the world so yeah don't don't rewrite the morality book but also don't hate people (laughs) on that exact topic i want to cut to uh page 94 Oh, cool. There's a little paragraph here that I read. I'm like, this is a good point. I want to bring it up. Okay. Do you want to read it or do you wanna me to, want me to read it? You go ahead and read it. Okay. I can't remember who said this. Maybe you have to remind me who said it if you can okay. figure it out. Page 94. Let's assume different people can do different things. Like for preference, not morals. One group believes technology is bad, so they don't use it. But that should impact another group. He turns his head, sour cream dripping from his cheek. You don't think it's wise to put the Supreme Tacos on a college budget. Do you think that works for romance? Mm-hmm. This is a point that I think a lot of Catholics have, that um, Catholics have a view of sin where there are some things that could be... I'll use, I'll use alcohol as an example. Okay. Well, for Catholics, alcohol is not a sin when taken in moderation. When it's uh, If you have one drink or two drinks, it's fine. The moment you have your reason impaired, when it becomes a sin. Yeah. For other other denominations, for example, Baptist, this look touching at the sin, mm-hmm. and so it really Looking does come it, down yeah. to yeah, it really does. Of course, if you have a drink with a Baptist, that gets you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they go hard. Um, so it's it really is a point. I think more people need to understand yeah. that. Aristotle had a point about the golden mean between temperance and overindulgence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think more people need to adopt that because it's never. All or nothing is easy. Finding your golden mean and knowing what you can handle, what you can't handle, yeah. is something that's a part of maturing and growing up. That people need yeah. to, you know, some people sit and go in a ball because they have no willpower. You know, some people can be in a ball and be fine. Some guys can have one drink and walk out and have no problem. But everyone mm-hmm. needs to figure out what their golden mean is. And that's the, I think that was brought up very well. Of course, that doesn't go with everything, you know. Some things are just intrinsically bad. Yeah. Intrinsically moral, but there are there are gray areas. I don't even want to say gray areas. There are substances or activities that could be fine when taken in moderation. Yeah. And that's something I think you did a good job of mentioning in the book. Yeah. Well. Um. Yeah. So you're fam- you're familiar with um Aristotle, and I know that um 
Well, I mean, of course, everyone's uh, explored this in some manner, shape, or form, but I think Jordan Peterson has done it a lot. Well, just explaining the, like, intrinsic morality and, like, ignoring it isn't a good thing. But then, like, there's intrinsic morality of, like, don't kill someone, and then there's the, you know, kind of extrinsic thing of, hey, you shouldn't drink. But, um, yeah, a lot of that philosophy, um, I unfortunately didn't study a lot of Greek philosophy growing up. I'm still meaning to get around to it. But um, that kind of um, idea was around uh, St. Paul's idea of, like, everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial. Exactly. Oh, so, I like, like that. Well, I need to write that down. St. Paul talks a lot about, you know, those differences and those boundaries far more eloquently than I could. But, um, yeah, I know that per that particular section on page 94 is wrapping up Alex discussing, like, the boundaries of kissing because they have two very worldly friends that kiss incessantly all the time and he's like is this okay and eventually they apply it to drinking and they eventually apply it to marijuana and like is this an intrinsic thing or is it an extrinsic thing and if it's an extrinsic thing where do i stand on it so i Sorry. hope i explored that boundary but i'm glad you brought up that paragraph right there a very good paragraph um on, on real quick on greek philosophy Everyone who's any and anyone who is all an intellectual or anything <laughs> needs to read uh, Plato's Symposium, which mm -hmm. is an entire uh, Socratic on love. I recommend everyone reads that. And the Nicod, or I call it Nicodemus Essex, but I'm actually not sure how you properly say that that word. That's by right. Aristotle. Mm -hmm. um, and if you read Aristotle and love him, you got to read Aquinas, the uh, Catholic uh, philosopher. Oh, Everything Aquinas did was perfect. Yeah. I have a few books, and on my shopping list is the Summa Theologica. I mean, I, I love Aquinas. My church is the same time as Aquinas' church, a yeah. So I, Everything yeah. that Aquinas said was right on the money. Can't recommend him enough to people. Exactly. I have some trouble understanding his theologies, but also I'm getting through a much larger book list um, for senior year. But um, he is definitely, yeah, one of my revered theologians. Mm. No, he was... It was great. Uh, let's see if I have any other questions. Oh, I wanted to ask you, what was the publishing process? Did it self-publish or do you have a publisher? What was the what was it like to go through that? Yeah, well, let me back up and talk about um, the other books I've written. So I started writing um, a young adult novel series. Um, Two that are out right now are Princess Charming and Royal Ambassador. Um, I'll have King's Son out uh, before August. But um, they're all published, self-published on Amazon through Kindle Direct Publishing. Mm. And they let you publish um, paperbacks and Kindles for free. You still have to purchase them after you've published them, but there's no upfront cost. So I appreciate it. But all the books that I've published are through Amazon. Um, I wasn't looking for, like, fame and fortune right now. Like, with the young adult series I just mentioned, I was kind of figuring out how to format books, how to edit, how to write, how to publish them myself, um, how to work with an illustrator, things like that. Like I was figuring out that beginning process that a lot of people do at the very start, but I didn't care to like learn how to be a novelist and how to write while rejected by a bunch of publishing companies that didn't mm -hmm. appeal to me. So yeah. uh, right now I'm working on projects that I believe will be the first that I'll take to publishing companies because mm -hmm. 
they're the quality that I think could be published, whereas my first two here were um, a little poor. But Connor's car is kind of the one that I wish I would have taken to a publisher, mm. but um, also published through uh, Amazon. But that's the first one also that I formatted myself. Um, I just kind of wrote it and I was ready to be done with it. And I was like, OK, we'll just put it on Amazon. We'll publish it. I don't really care who reads it because this was more for me to come to terms with all that I've been learning, not really for anyone to learn anything. So I'm, I'm glad that people have still uh, been able to enjoy it and mm. learn from it and also be comforted by it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's something that you brought up earlier. That I do something similar. When I have an ideal or something I'm trying to work out, I write it out in a Socratic or I write it out in a essay. I mean, mm-hmm. be amazing about docs I have on my, com- my computer for – unrelated nonsense yeah so i've done like eight handwritten journals so far <laughs> <laughs> on top yeah. of like my my diaries as well mm-hmm. as all of these books so i i totally get it yeah now it's a it's a, it's a very helpful tool for anyone who watching this and trying to really get your ideas out there writing them down is way better than just speaking to yourself in the car exactly you know you really go back and edit it and refigure it out and who knows if you ever if you ever think something's good enough? There's so many self-publishing uh, article websites. You know, I mean, I got a couple articles published myself. You can go and read. The mm-hmm. not super great, but the ideas that are being put out there, and that's very important for people figuring mm-hmm. things out. Mm. Indeed. Okay, well, I think I'm out of questions. Uh, let's go into the more of a more of a pushback section. All we'll right. Push back on a little bit here. So on the uh, marijuana point in the book. Yep. It seemed. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but it seemed to begin with uh, more anti-read from mm-hmm. the character perspective. Now, I understand the characters are new, kind of kind of sheltered to the uh, new to the world kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that might have been just the common reaction. But towards the end, I never I never uh, noticed it. Not, I can't remember if I noticed it not later in the book, but in the, towards the end of the book, how do you think your characters would respond to marijuana themselves? Would they be take, take part? Take part how would you put it? If they were in that situation, would they zone in? They would not. Mm. Yeah. So Ooh. for you, uh, for you now, does weed fall into the same category of temperance when it comes to uh, comes to alcohol, or does weed take into a different category? Um, that is a point that I don't think I have enough information on. Like, I studied the effects of it. I studied different levels of things. Um, the character who does smoke marijuana quite a bit, Warren, um, he has a very um, lighthearted reaction. Like, he turns into almost a kinder person when he smokes, which is, um, which is odd because you kind of hate him as a character whenever he's not smoking. So, so I, know, I know I know some people like that. You just be like, hey man, what's it at? Go, you need some of this right now. Well, it's it's kind of an awful thing, and that's where, like with alcohol, I can say it very strongly that, like obviously, if you're an alcoholic and you have a problem and you know you can't handle it, then you shouldn't walk into a bar. Um, and like I know I have a problem. Um, with like even like general stuff now like watching too much tv like i get pulled in and i don't stop so i know if i touched alcohol i would react in the same way so i know where i stand on that i know it would be the same way for any kind of drug so i'm definitely not going to um but then it kind of comes back that now that i'm meeting more people and 
like once you put a face with an ideology suddenly it's a lot harder to differentiate with it so like if you say hey do you think people should be smoking marijuana i'd be like no i don't think that they should it messes with your brain especially like underage kids but anyone like messes with your brain but when you put a person before me i'm like hmm like still no but i would respond to it in a much different fashion which is what i think the boys end up going through they step mm -hmm. into the environment and they're like no and no but then it turns into no and well i will deal i will talk, treat that person accordingly when i know them so yeah that's well, a one. that's a really sticky one though for, for me i think marijuana falls into the it's a it can be used medicinally and it can be used in a relaxation sense but it can also be such a powerful drug it turns into a psychedelic yeah and at what point does a psychedelic become a visit a, a reason corruptor versus a perceptive a, a perception sensor you know mm -hmm. some people can smoke weed and see things from new angles and it can be uh, beneficial some people can smoke it and then awaken bacon and do anything with their life and so really i think weed does fall into the more individual category of people mm -hmm. needing to know their limits well and know what, themselves but yeah here's another idea for that which is explored not much in the book but um there's the verse in Proverbs 30 where um, the king's mother is like, it's not for kings to drink wine lest they forget the law and misstep. Like, leave that for the poor people who, like, need something to numb the pain or, like, aren't making mind-shattering decisions. So I think that would also apply to the extraordinary versus the ordinary category. Like, who's in power? Who needs to be in control of their faculties? And, like be that more than an upstanding moral person be that almost like perfect person all the time so like you know teachers and leaders and people like that so on that point of that. uh on that point of king and layperson there's a book you should read uh renegade history of the united states it's yeah uh Sadius russell he's a libertarian also historian mm -hmm. um the book kind of goes over how the when the uh, lower class, the the prostitutes, the uh, thugs, the drug runners, they do things because they can get away with it, and then the rich class gets jealous and tries to justify and legalize it. And so it's how the real advancements of legalization in a society have come from the renegade class. Yeah, it's a very interesting idea, uh, historically speaking, and it's a fascinating read. I highly recommend it. Yeah, but. We're coming up on the end of our time for the podcast. Uh, let me ask you, Anya, what has been your favorite part of this interview? Talking about Mormons, man. <laughs> no. Mormons. No, um, really. Actually, I do. No, I do have a favorite part because um, it connected with something else. But um, I have a friend who has a daughter who's like one or two, one years old now. Um, and she read my novels um, and stuff. And she lives, like, in the panhandle, so we don't ever see each other. But she, she called me and she said, hey, I read your books. And I was like, oh, sorry, because I don't hold them in very high esteem. But she said, yeah, I'm going to give these to my daughter to read when she is older, like, both the young adult novels and Connor's Car, because she was like, this is important and it teaches things that need to be taught in a way that works. So my favorite part of this interview was when you said you would give this to your son um, when he was coming of age and going to college, that it really means a lot to me that this book will not only help the people who read it now, but people who have yet to be born. That's my favorite part. 
That was a good answer. That was a good answer. Uh, where can people find your books at? Just on Amazon, or do you have a website? All on Amazon, yes, sir. All on Amazon. I, I put a... I'm in need of setting up an author's website that has the links to all the podcasts I've done and all the books I've written and articles and everything. So if I have once I have that set up, I'll send you the link. And I don't know if you can update the podcast and like. I can do that. Well, I, I will put a link to your. I'll put a link to your uh, Amazon page in the description and on the website. Thank you. Uh, the book is Connor's Call by Anya Lee. Anya, do you have a Facebook or Twitter page people can follow you at? Or Nope. Nope. <laughs> just He's just out there. <laughs> I'm somewhere out there. Over the rainbow. Yeah. Over the rainbow. That is indeed my selected character. <laughs> no, but I'll have an author page that will have uh, blog posts and updates and all that. But I'll send you the link once that's Wonderful. Well, this has been the Libertarian Book Club uh, with my guest, Anya Lee. I hope everyone has a, a great night. Keep on reading.